Yo, welcome to the Diversity Hires. You can find us across social media at Div Hires Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also reach us at thediversityhires.com. And new, you can find us at patreon.com backslash Div Hires Pod, where you can, if you choose to, you can donate some money and help keep this podcast afloat. Shu, what are we talking about today? We are talking about a topic that actually comes from one of our listeners uh, who suggested this topic, and we thought it was pretty good. thought it'd be a good time to talk about this uh, between having another guest. We're talking about dialogue today, how to use it, what we our observations of good dialogue, how to craft good dialogue, what dialogue is. Uh, so a little bit more of a craft episode today. Ah, could be an hour, could be 35 minutes. We're not really sure. We're gonna we're gonna jump in. It could be like, you know, two sentences. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, stick around. Hit the music. Yo, 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 welcome to the Diversity Hires, where Sherman Shoe shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two professional film and television writers living and working in Los Angeles, and we come here every week to give you the lowdown on the business, the culture, and episodes like this, the craft screenwriting for film and television from a distinctly black point of view. I am Shukri Hassan Tillman. A lot of people call me Shu. Earth people, New York and California. Earth people, I was born on Jupiter. You know who it is. It's your boy Sherman Payne, the greatest screenwriter of all time, the living embodiment of the Courier font. We about to drop some knowledge on you. Keep it locked. Yes, yes. How are you doing, Shukri? I'm doing okay. Uh, I just watched, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but this happens every week where I think of something in the moment. Okay. But when you ask me how I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing, doing great. Work is coming great. Um, I saw an episode of Superstore season, I believe it's season six, episode five. Mm-hmm that I thought was the greatest, one of the greatest meditations on racism that I've ever seen on screen. Really? It was so, such a special episode. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a fan of the show to begin with. But I've I never seen a frame. If, I've never seen it's, literal. It's really good. I don't even know what it's, I have. No, I mean, I assume it's about a superstore. Other than it that, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about it. So tell me. It's really good, and I don't want to give it away. Like, but it, it's it, it basically is an episode which a lot of shows have been trying to do, especially comedies, where it sort of touches on the moment, um, the pandemic, uh, the racial justice moment that we're in, and it does it in such a way that it's just really clever. It's really smart. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 manages to be really funny and poignant at the same time and also kind of ridiculous in a great way. 
And I, I just found it's like one of those things where I was like, wow, I was watching like, wow, this is this is really special. And it's it's it may not it may just fly under the radar. And, you know, I don't think it's a huge show for for a lot of people, but uh, I just got to give it a shout out because it was really, really great. So love it. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. Is uh, that America Ferrera? Is she in that? Yes, but she has, I believe, if she hasn't left the show, uh-huh. I believe she left the show uh, uh-huh. at the end of last season or something like that, or the middle of this one. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But yes, it is. that's the show you're thinking about. Gotcha. Um, you know, f- some friends of ours wrote a movie that I saw called, I hope I'm not fucking up the pronunciation. I believe it's called The Martanian. Um, it is about a prisoner at Guantanamo with Jodie Foster and oh God, I'm forgetting the main actor's name who is fantastic. It's a fantastic, some friends of ours wrote this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, Roy, Roy and Sorab. Roy yeah. Haynes and Sorab. Yep. Um, and so uh, it's, I saw it, man. It's. Wait, where, where it, did you it, see it? Uh, well, I saw a, a copy before it came out, but I couldn't talk about it until recently uh-huh. since it's out now. But um, I, I just thought it was, I mean, it just fantastically written. If it's not one of the top five written things in a, in this awards year, I don't know what is. And it's not just because they're my friends. I think it's a, it's just a dope movie. And the, the performances, uh, especially from the main guy, who I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but uh, are really, really fantastic. And it's sort of a film of the moment because people forget about Guantanamo. And the fact that it mm-hmm. still exists and that people have been in prison there um, without charges uh, or without trial, certainly. So anyway, it was really good. I highly recommend. Uh, I see that it, the, the actor got a nomination for uh, lead actor in the Golden Globes. Oh, did he? Great. Great. Uh, great. Okay. Tahar Rahim. Yes. Yes. Okay. He, yeah. yeah. He's he's. Speechless. I mean, it's, it's it's breathtaking. It's great. Were you able to check out the Golden Globe nomination, Shukri? I was. Uh, I, I looked at it really quick, but what did you I think? Was. Some surprises there. I think there's a Hollywood Reporter article out that um, mentions a lot of the uh, surprises. And good to see female directors on the list. Um, that's good. Some things that were left out, like I May Destroy You. I mean... That's biz- a bizarre snub. Sort yeah, of like. Seriously, that show <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it's kind of. Did they forget? Was there an eligibility problem or something? I, I'm not really sure. That seems to not make any sense. Um, but yeah, there was a, there was some 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 new stuff in there. I mean, like I just again, I both respect in some ways, you know, the pageantry of the award shows and those kind of things. But they really don't matter, and, and <laughs> this, this is like more proof that like they're just all over the place. You know, half the movies have any two movies were two movies were nominated for best picture that haven't even come out. Like really? people haven't even seen them yet. Yeah, the one uh, Sia movie, the music thing, mm-hmm. and then yeah, I was surprised uh, to see that. I have literally never even heard of that. It hasn't been released. Yeah, it, it's stupid. So I mean, you know. It's great. The snubs. If I was like Michaela Cole, I'd be like, who gives a fuck? I mean, you left me out. Who cares? Like, what is this list? You know? It's such an old fashioned thing. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, 
you know, the th- same thing was going on in the Grammys with The Weeknd, who had one of the biggest albums. He had, like, the biggest single ever this year, and he got zero Grammy nominations. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You're a multimillionaire, and you're beloved. You know, Michaela Cole, everybody loves Michaela Cole. What does she need with the Golden Globe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody knows with the best. Just like you said about that Macklemore year. Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody is remembering Macklemore winning best rap album or whatever he won. Everybody knows <laughs> that was Kendrick's year. Give me a break. Um, you yeah, know, exactly. I, uh, listen. There were no, um, there were no black writers included in the movie uh, writing category. There was one Asian woman for Nomadland, but other than that, no people of color. I, you know, I mean, I'm just pointing that out, but I'm not surprised yeah. by it at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, how, what's the percentage of working feature? First of all, black feature writers. I feel like it's the last diversity. I feel like it's like me and Kent Powers. Like we're, I think we're the only (laughs) two actually out here. No, but I I mean, I'm. I think it's something like four point seven. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. You know, I want to. I would like to put an appeal out to our audience, uh, our audience, because you know we have talked to a lot of fantastic people on the show already. A lot of legends, people really high up, people who have written shows that we all know and love, but we have not really talked to feature writers. You know, mm-hmm. and we every week we rack our brains to like who, what feature writers can we get to? What feature writers do we have personal relationships with? And we have some connections that we've been trying to figure out and maybe we'll get something on the schedule soon. But it just shows you that there are not a lot of black feature screenwriters that we have trouble just coming up with yeah. names and finding those connections. So any of our audience members who are listening any uh, any feature of black screen? I know we have a lot of screenwriters who listen, who are established. Hit us up. We would love to talk to you. You know, Shu just booked a movie. He's going to write one. I've written a couple movies that have been produced. But we want to talk to some outside voices, man. So feature screenwriters, hit us up. We want to talk to y'all. Yeah, Black feature screenwriters, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're out there. In the TV category, I saw uh, a couple by us. I saw Small Axe um, mm-hmm. was nominated for a miniseries. And I saw that uh, Lovecraft Country was nominated for drama on HBO. So we do have a little bit more representation on TV. Yes, that's true. And I don't, I would like to see Lovecraft, um, you know, in, in subsequent uh, awards shows or whatever awards. Mm-hmm. I would love to see the craft categories really get um reward and i'm talking about for in this case the um the production craft because i mm-hmm. thought it looked amazing mm-hmm. i thought the costuming was incredible mm-hmm. i thought the um you know, like i said the look the cinematography was great uh, i thought some of the direction was fantastic so anyway just we often talk about the big categories you know the 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 best picture best drama and sort of forget about the other categories. And I just think, you know, it's one um, one example of a, of a show that I saw that I thought the crafts people were really working at a, at a high level and should Huge. be rewarded. Huge. That. I mean, yeah. it's a period piece. It's a genre piece. Like, there's a lot going on. Most of it looks excellent on screen. I think that it, it needs all that. It needs all that love and attention. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Shu, let's let's get into our main topic today on what feels like a little bit of a of a chill episode, man. 
Are we like in yeah. a chill mood today? I think so, man. I think so. It's a, it's a tweener. And for the audience, you know, we we we're trying to line up some more guests. We've had a couple cancellations, so you know, we're, we're we're pulling it together. Hopefully, we'll get back on on track with that. Do people do people really appreciate the guests, or do people want to hear us talk craft? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, so we, we'll have to. Yeah, we, we think should solicit those opinions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't know. You guys let us know. I think it's because we try to lean towards guests as much as we can. Yeah. Um, but. Maybe nobody cares. I don't know. We try to strike a good balance. All right. So, dialogue, man. What do you, you said it might be a two sentence episode. So, like, what are your two sentences about dialogue? Well, I have a couple categories. All right. Um, and I think um, this is just in the way of thinking about dialogue because there's a lot of different schools of thought, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, because we talk a lot about story, about character, about mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. Um, even we talk about in the don't do that shits, we talk about sort of like how it should look on the page and that kind of thing. Yes. But people, you know, there's not a lot of time spent on dialogue. I think it's because we all talk. Well, yes. unless you don't have the ability to talk, but we all mostly talk. And, you know, except for my, my, my people in the deaf community, we mostly hear. And so I think we think we know how to do that because we, we speak and we hear. So what's the difference? Just put it, just put that on paper. That's not actually. Guess what? Most people don't know how to do it. Exactly. That's not what you should do. If people really take it for granted, I think because of all the reasons you mentioned, but a lot of people write really whack dialogue. So I'm glad to get into this because, you know, it's, it's a, it's an art form, man. Yes. Well, here's my first point, and, and okay. you tell me what you, what you think. Like, All like, right. Basically, Lay it two on or me. three of them. I was once taught and told to think of dialogue as action. Bro, that was my first point. Was it? We really have to talk before we start these podcasts. <laughs> I love it. No, but I I wholeheartedly agree. We should really we should really do some prep, Shukri. <laughs> we really should. All right. All right. So dialogue well, is action. Well, you, 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 well, what's your two cents on dialogue as action? What does that well, mean to you? And, okay. And, so yeah. for for me personally, what I, first I have to define what action is, right? And we talked about this in our in our passive active characters episode. Mm-hmm. Action is something a character does in order to achieve what they want, not just what they want in the moment, but what they want as it's tied to the central goal. The dramatic question, the problem of the piece that you're that you're writing the script. So mm-hmm. I like to think of action as how uh, dialogue as how it relates to the characters accomplishing their goals and how those goals relate to the central dramatic question. Mm-hmm. So I come from the firm, you know, school of thought that people open their mouths because they want something. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. they talk. Nobody said if if you don't want something, just keep your mouth shut. Even if you're like a nervous character who just doesn't like the sound of silence, well, you want something. You want to mm-hmm. fill the sound of silence and that awkward tension with some sort of sound. It might cause you to ramble. Now you're already just thinking of it from that perspective. You're already starting to to discover the manner in which people speak. Mm-hmm. Right? Dialogue 
and you know, giving one one word answers because you really don't want to say too much. You don't want the other mm-hmm. character to know what you're thinking. You don't want the other mm-hmm. character to know mm-hmm. your plan, whatever the case may be. That's also dialogue as action. So mm-hmm. that's what that's the way I come at it first and foremost. Before I even think about what words to choose, the sort of the manner of speaking, if there's some sort of idiosyncratic slang yes. that they use, any of that stuff. That's the very first thing I'm thinking about, Shu, when I'm when I'm approaching a scene. What does the character want and how can the character use dialogue to achieve what they want? And that is action. I mean, 100%. 100%. And the, I can't even add, I'll just co-sign and say that I think many things, it's so interesting how many things come back to character wants and needs. Guess and what? Sure, sure. It, it, it yeah. all comes back to character. It all comes needs. back. If you're not, if you're not coming back, back to character wants and objectives and goals and how they're trying to achieve that, you have you have a mess. You have a mess. That's and I want right. I have a I have a don't do that shit today about this exact topic. But let me just say, there are so many pieces of work on television, specifically television, which the where you have no clue what anybody wants. No, I don't. Let me not go too deep because I have a don't do that shit. But it's so as a as a writer and as a viewer, it's so clear when I turn on something where the the creative forces behind the project don't adhere to a central objective, that don't adhere to the idea of an active character chasing one thing that they really want. It's clear mm-hmm. to me within the first ten minutes, and I'm like, get this shit off my TV, man. I can't even stand to watch it. Sorry yeah. about that, true. Continue. No, it's absolutely true. And I think even within, so back to, di- like, segueing that to dialogue, even within scenes, you know, because characters can have overarching ones for, the, for the, the script or the whole story or the whole series or whatever. But in scenes, you know, characters also have wants. And so when you can identify what that, what is this character in this scene want or need what are they trying to get out of the other person uh yes. why are they there uh what do they what do they seek whatever then the, it's amazing how the dialogue can become natural to reflect that because someone's going to talk about you know we can i want to save a little bit later how to be crafty about this but somebody's going to talk about the things related to their want Someone is going to respond to that, either defend themselves, try to stop the person from the thing they want, evade, whatever. And all those words that I use, defend, evade, avoid, are all action words. Yes. And so those those actions yes. uh, want, need, you know, avoid, defend, whatever, turn into words. And those words turn into di- sentences, which turn into dialogue. And so that action is the root of it. What is this? What is this person's action? Is the uh, related to the characters once in the scene? That is where dialogue springs from. Yes. Everything else is just bullshit. I mean, everything just, else is decoration, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything else is decoration. The the way that you listen, the way that you. I think a lot of writers think like. I got to come out of the gate having dialogue that's as clever and as quippy as Tarantino. So let me think about the cool phrases I want to use. And let me think about the manner of speaking and the accents and the, and the slang and all that kind of shit. Okay. None of that matters unless you do what you just described first, right? Like none of it, it's all going to fall flat. It's all going to feel hollow 
unless you are propping it up. This is before you've even thought about the specific words you're using. Before you've even written one word of dialogue, you're doing the work to make sure that the scene is going to support all that other cool shit you want to say. So I agree with you 100% about this, Shu. I think that, you know, I've said it before, but it's, it's worth mentioning here. I, in grad school, I read this article uh, or this essay by David Mamet. Shout out Andy Beenan. He put me on to it. Fantastic writer. Boys don't cry. Look him up. But David Mamet has three magic questions for scenes, right? These are mm. questions that he as a writer asks himself before he writes a scene and to also stress test if a scene is even worth being in the script. It's who wants what, who wants what from who? First question. Second question, what happens if they don't get it? Third question, why now? If you can answer those three questions, which get at the heart of what Shakri and I are talking about, and there's different ways to phrase them, whatever, like, you know, objective, stakes, immediacy. You could phrase it like that as well. But if you can sort of identify or answer those questions or sort of categorize your scene in those three categories before you even write a word of dialogue, I guarantee your dialogue in that scene will be better because you understand what is going on dramatically underneath the words. Yes. Agreed. Um, because the words are only serving that purpose. I mean, that's what they should, the words aren't there to just be words. We could talk about that in a second. Yeah. They are there to serve that, that thing you're talking about to serve um, those objectives, the characters objectives. The other thing I just want to mention is that, you know, and I've said this before, as we've talked about once, but especially as it comes into a scene, you know, I, I don't want to put out this notion like these wants have to be huge. Like I have to want to defuse the bomb right. in this scene. It doesn't have to, that doesn't, doesn't require it to be large. It could just be that, you know, I'm trying to communicate to this person, you know, I don't know, that I'm angry with them, but I don't want to say I'm angry with them. I want to whatever. Well, okay. I'm, I'm I'm pissed off at them about taking my kid, but I'm talking about how how you left a plate in the dishes in the in the sink. So what I'm you know what I'm what I really want in this scene is for you to know how angry I am, but I can't get that because whatever you know okay. because you keep avoiding. Yeah, I mean you're getting yes okay. So I think this is great. I think you're getting to advanced shit. Let me just say to to your first part. Yes, it doesn't always have to be. The scene doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing in order to ask yourself these questions and figure out how people are going to talk. It could be that the scene that they're currently in is distracting them from their main objective. And so then the goal of the scene becomes, how can I get out of the scene as quickly as possible because I have to go do the real thing that I want? You know, And that can become an interesting way to craft a scene. The other thing you were saying, which I think is really interesting, which I think we should go ahead and get into, which is another one of the points that I wanted to bring up is when characters can't say directly what they're, what they want, they can't say directly what they're <laughs> thinking and what their objective is. I then to say on this. <laughs> okay. Do you want to get into it now? No, no, I want you. Yes, but I want you to start. I well, I mean, I just, it's, it, I want to hear what you have to say, but it's, I think this is where you start getting, and again, you might not have even written a word yet. This is just like all the pre-work you do in order to get your dialogue set up in a way that's going to make it really sing. I'll say that I think, generally speaking, human beings are super inarticulate. 
And what yes. I mean by that is not that I'm not talking articulate, like whether they can like form a sentence and use big words and, and pronunciate clearly. That's one way to think about articulate, but I'm talking about like from what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their heart and their soul emotionally, people are very bad at expressing that verbally. So mm-hmm. you're already in deep shit from a, from a dialogue standpoint, if you ever have anybody say exactly what they're feeling or exactly what they're thinking, and it comes out clearly, you're already in deep shit because most people don't talk like that. And that's you as the writer laying bare what's going on, but you haven't really passed it through the filter of like how sophisticated and how complex human beings are. So I'm already, when, I, when I'm getting to the point where I'm writing dialogue and I've done all this work that Shu and I have already talked about, I'm already thinking about like, okay, now how can I obscure it? How can I mess it up? How can I make it more complex? Okay, this person hates the other person, but they can't say it because it's inappropriate given the nature of their relationship. They can't say it. How how does their objective to say that they hate this person, how is it hindered by the obstacle that they're not allowed to say it? Mm-hmm. Okay, now we got to now it's a sophisticated scene. They want to say something, but they can't. Okay, now what's the dialogue of the scene? So Anyway, I want to hear what you have to say, but those are my initial no, thoughts. I think that's very, that's very right. And to riff off of that, I think there are, there are two things that you allude to. First, yes, you're right. I mean, I think characters and people don't say, you know, exactly what they mean to say at the exact time that they mean to say it. Now, I think there are exceptions to that craft-wise that sometimes work, and I'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think because of, because, I think that's generally true, though, is that like people don't just say, like, this is what I want very bald, baldly, and um, this is what you're going to get me, or whatever. And if you do that in dialogue, you're going to end up sounding like bland exposition, uh, yes. which is you know the opposite of craft. However, I think that what you can do as a practice is it may be a good idea. And sometimes I do this within scenes. If to back to your David Mamet thing, if I can't really under, if I want to stress test it, or if I can't really understand, I want to get to what is this scene really about? Sometimes in practice, I will just write out, I think I've said this before on this podcast, I will write out exactly what they mean, exactly yes. what they're saying, very baldly, very expositionally, just so I can hear and understand from the characters' mouths, what are they actually after? They're not. I'm going to go back and revise that. But uh, to your point, which which you just mentioned about messing it up and obscuring it, but it may be, it's a good practice. Sometimes it could be a good practice to for people if you're struggling to just go ahead and write out it, write it out as 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 baldly and as ex- expositionally as you can. That might help to you know get to a clearer di- to better dialogue by actually you know, starting with what's expositional and revising it later. The second thing I'll yes. say is that Agree with I that. think, good, good. I think the second thing is like, there are, and I don't want to go too far down this road, but we might as well. I mean, there are this notion of how people talk in the real world, you know, mm-hmm. there are, are what human beings actually say to one another. There's different thoughts, schools of thought on this. I mean, no one that I know talks like an Aaron Sorkin television show. Right. Nobody. But I love that dialogue. I think right. it's fantastic. It, it hits my ear in, in a way that, that makes a lot of sense. And 
feels fluid and feels artistic. And, and I, and I like that. And everybody feels a little bit smarter than any human being would actually be in those, right. in those positions. Right, but, right, right. But I like that there's a certain craft to that. And I think all of it still adheres to the rules that we're talking about. The other thing I'll say is just like a show like this is us where part of, you know, I think the part of the appeal, that's the word I'm looking for of that show is that, uh, and we would talk about it in the writer's room is that these are characters who actually say the things that they are feeling Mm -hmm. in the most sort of, in a, in a way that no human being actually would. So this is sort of like, if you could say the thing that you were, that we were all feeling that you wish you could say in the most crafty, in the most crafty way possible, this is what these characters do. They speak their feelings in a way that's a little sort of, nah, would that really happen? But that's where that show lives, you know? And that's where, that's where, (laughs) that's where it loses me. That's where it loses me. Like, (laughs) I know that you worked on this show and it is a great show and I see the craft. I know some of the writers on there and I think you guys are all at the top of your game. But But the point is, but you see what I'm talking about though. I see that. Would you say that that's a, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just asking, would you see, do you agree with that assessment though, that characters on that show speak dialogue that is their feeling? Yes, they are. It's what, first of all, it's there's a lot of fantastic dialogue on that show. And I think that even what you're talking about is fantastic dialogue. It's a con you, it's clear that very skilled writers have made a conscious choice to have three or four characters who can say exactly what they're feeling at the exact moment they feel it. Yes, and that's what people love about that show. I mean, they want to hear those big emotional speeches where the music swells and they're gonna tear up a little bit. Yep. I mean, you know, that it's it's a it's a stylistic it's a choice. choice and it's mm-hmm. I mean, who am I except just a viewer? Like I think that that is a huge appeal of that show. For me personally, it it does hit my ear wrong. Mm-hmm. I have to say, mm-hmm. it does hit my ear wrong when people that. even if it's a choice and even if it's conscious, it does hit my ear wrong when people speak their emotions so eloquently and so and they're so articulate because I know almost nobody in my life like that. Nope, there is nobody. It doesn't it's, exist. It, it, it's it's a heightened, right? It's a heightened, like you were saying with Sorkin. It's a heightened version of dialogue. It's a heightened. It's a well crafted, extremely heightened version of the way that people speak. Yes, and there's there's heightened like like West Wing's kind of smart heightened. You know, kind of feels like a there's heightened where it kind of sort of you know. One night in Miami feels this way, where it's where it's natural, but it's definitely like a play. Like a, there's a bit of theat- theatricalness to it, and well, One Night in Miami was a play, but you know, people are going to say not speeches, perhaps, but like close enough to a speech. You know what I mean? That it that yeah. it has a there's a heightenedness to it, and I think it just and yes, and then there's the other side where it's it's heightened, like a This Is Us, where uh, it is it is a heightened kind of feelings heightened uh, emotions right. heightened kind of kind of dialogue, and and that's a choice you know and I, I can see where it hits it, it certain people one way and that people don't like Sorkin for the same reason people don't like sort of yeah I mean you know, the, I, yeah. You know I I was a kid 
I was a kid, you know, in the nineties, right. And in the, in the early two thousands. So I remember a lot of, uh, a lot of teen soaps around that time, you know, a lot of teen. I was just, I was, yes. And so like, when I think of Beverly Hills, 90210, or I even think of something like Dawson's Creek, Mm -hmm. I was, Mm -hmm. remember being a teenager at the time thinking, I don't know any teens who talk like this. These guys sound like a, like a freaking thesaurus. Like a, like a talking thesaurus. Nobody ha- nobody I know has vocabulary, but it was a stylistic choice. Let me ask you, as somebody who's written for This Is Us, do did what was the push and pull? Like, did you ever feel like, dude, we've gone too far in this sort of the blanket, you know, the just the bald statement of emotions? Or did you always feel like you were hitting a specific pocket that was intentional? No, I think anybody there would, I, I don't think it's, think anybody there would agree that you know there's always a push there was always a push and pull at mm-hmm. least when i was there i haven't been there for a while i mean yeah. i was on seasons two and three but yeah i think it's I think emmy it's winning seasons that, are those emmy winning yeah, seasons I mean, the emmy nominated seasons that's what yeah. i like to say the emmy yeah. nominated seasons. you know when i left eh, no more emmy nominations <laughs> anyway <laughs> k's gonna come up back on the show and kick your yeah. ass i dan and isaac are gonna laugh at that at least they don't listen to the show anyway no, I think that there was a there was a pull push and pull, certainly because I think there's a balance, man. It's like that show. You're right. That show lived in, and the and we knew the audiences liked. Yeah, you're gonna get that Act Four monologue, bro. Mm-hmm. It's gonna come. You know, it's coming. I don't, you don't may not know who it's coming from. It could be Jack. <laughs> could be you know. Could be Randall. Not yeah. could be all of them. Who knows? Yes. Could be Mandy. Not sure. But it's right. coming, and it's going to come right at the opportune time where a tear jerk moment is going to happen. You know what I mean? Word. And so there's a there's a craft to you can't do that all throughout the episode because it wouldn't have you know the same sort of ring. Yes. So yes, there is a push and pull about hey, do we need three monologues? Can we pull back on one of those? Does do they really need to say everything they're feeling at every single moment? Mm-hmm. Sure, of course. And I think you know. The showrunners there were were cognizant of that, but also cognizant of, of the fact that that is where the show lives. And I think that's true for like, you brought up, you know, teen dramas. Yeah. I was going to go there too, because I think that that's a certain like, that's a certain, even those, those teen genre shows, the CW is kind of like, that's a certain kind of, I don't love that dialogue. That's not my favorite. That's right. not what I want to listen to. Right. But I understand, having written on one of those shows, I understand like it lives in the like overly emotional, saying every saying a lot more than you would normally say, and you know, because it, it's not trying to be real. It's right. not trying to be sort of naturalistic. It's trying I mean, to be something heightened. Well, this is a good place to point out that any dialogue that you write down and commit to paper or to your computer screen is already heightened, right? Because I would ask the listeners, really listen to the way people talk today as you go throughout your day. See how many times people just respond with grunts, various grunts of different tones. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Like, that's a lot of dialogue. A lot of dialogue is nonverbal. A lot of communication is nonverbal. A lot of communication is almost unintelligible because it's just grunts and tones and people just sort of communicate in very short bursts. 
if we just wrote like that, it would be whack. You wouldn't want to hear that on, you really wouldn't want to hear that on the screen or uh, hear that on the screen. You really wouldn't want to hear that in movies or television either. You know, some people have made a living out of doing ultra realistic dialogue and a very grounded, very much like the way we actually talk. And that also sometimes can hit the ear a little false, funnily yes. enough. So, yes, it's true. I mean, I think the biggest thing here as we sort of move into actually how to craft dialogue is intention. Intention. Yes. Make sure that you are really having a clear sense of stated intention before you commit those words down. What kind of dialogue are you trying to write? What kind of dialogue are you trying to aspire to? Are these characters that exist in a little bit of a heightened world where they do give speeches? You know, they do have the Sorkin style speeches or they do have the Tarantino style of speaking, which also isn't very realistic. Um, Or are you trying to aspire for something real? Or are you trying to aspire for something that's your own voice? Just to have that intention of how you're going to make these characters speak is so important because what you can find is if you don't have that intention and you haven't sort of stated to yourself what you're trying to accomplish, it can very quickly become shapeless mud it could just become mud where people are just saying words and every single thing yes. sounds exactly alike and yes. you're not moving the story forward so long yes. way to get to that point shoot well i disagree even i, I no, not i disagree i just agree um that yeah i, I just want to reiterate and you know you could say it a thousand times during this during this episode that all that other crafty stuff sits on top of, you know, character wants, knowing what the scene is about, knowing who wants what in the scene. And to I don't know how shameless works, but you know, um, to your point, like it's just interesting the, the 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 different styles and I tend to like, you know, we've we've worked for some good people, and I think like and, and they all have different styles and how they approach dialogue. And I think, for example, like on Animal Kingdom, I think, you know, it's a crime drama. Mm-hmm. We have characters who do not talk about their feelings. I mean, expressly don't. Right. They're not very verbal. Right. They are not, they are not so self-aware anyway to, to that's their character. They're not self-aware to sort of be self-reflective or, that's not really their thing. So a lot of the emotional beats come out of like a look, a right. word, right. A, sen- a half of a sentence, a reaction that's like, yeah, okay. You right. know, <laughs> they, they, and, and, and it works. And so there, it's just interesting that like it still, to me, it, all that still sits on well-crafted scenes that are about people who want something. And if you have that core and if that's working, right, then you can, you know, figure out what, what the tone of your show is and try to figure out uh, sort of what the dialogue is that matches uh, best to that thing. I hope that made sense. That makes complete sense. Um, The next thing that I'm going to try to do when I, when I'm thinking after I've done all this work and I've thought about all this stuff, I am trying to come up with individual character voices. I'm trying to think about how each character talks in a way that is very, very different than the other characters. And I think that's sort of what make people who really write great dialogue all have 
this ability to make characters talk in distinct ways. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something you think about a lot. Call that character voices. And I've heard that like the best character voices are ones where you don't have to read the name of the character as you're flying mm-hmm. through the script. Mm-hmm. You don't actually even have to see who's speaking because once you read the dialogue, it's so clear that only that character could say it. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, it's making it read better. It's making it. It's about making it specific to the characters. It's about making each character an individual. Just to go a little deeper, for me, it becomes about who these characters are, and I start to really think before I even write a word of dialogue. I'm starting to really think about what's their background. What's their background? What region of the country do they come from if we're writing in the United States, right? Because we all know somebody from the Deep South speaks very differently than somebody from the Northeast. Yes. Everything, all other things being equal, you already have developed one category that where their voice is different. Education level, I think, has a very, very big effect on the way people speak. Um, yes. You know, wh- what race are they from? What What is their culture that they grew up in? You know, somebody who is uh, an immigrant in in South Texas sounds very different. Um, a Latin American immigrant in South Texas sounds very different than maybe a black person who grew up in South Texas. They could be from the same neighborhood and sound very different because of culture. I start to think of all these things. And then little tiny things inside of that, right? Like, did they play sports? Did they Do they like political news? Do they, how do they interact with their friends and family versus how do they interact with uh, people that work? All of this stuff I'm thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about. And slowly as I check all those boxes and think about all those categories, I'm developing a very individual voice for this character. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I can only say that I totally agree. And um you know, there are little ways to that I think you find along the way as you're developing that character and how they speak that inform inform the dialogue. Like one one thing that comes to mind is that I always I tend to think about yes, education level, yes, where they come from, of course, all that kind of stuff, but like what kind of words are they exposed to also? Like what kind of words do they hear and then repeat? And some things like I think about are like, I mean, this is really in the weeds, but mm-hmm. I tend to think about like certain characters for me speak in contractions while others wouldn't. You know, some people will say, I can't do that. And other people will say, I cannot do that. Yes, and those true. things are two different things, you know? You need to make 50 of those decisions in a way yeah. that a character speaks. But I'll tell you that you sort of stumbled into one of the things that's most important for me and I don't know if other writers do it, I make rules. I make rules for the way the characters speak. I say, mm-hmm. this person never says a contraction. Never. Right, exactly. They will never say a contraction. I say, this person will never say, this person will never say man. They'll never like end a sentence with mm-hmm. like comma man. They'll never do it. Or they will always do it. They'll do it way too much. Or this person has a nervous tick of saying, I don't know. Right. Like I'm just applying Mm -hmm. these rules, applying these rules and filtering them through what I know about the character and the character's background. And then slowly but surely, I get an individual voice that could only be theirs. And I think it really I think it does help to accomplish that goal. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I do think there is sort of a like an an expectation of a kind of like 
lack of a better term, like a default white person language. That's yes. sort of <laughs> that's sort of the expectation that that will be laid over everything. And to a certain extent, I think we all either consciously or unconsciously sort of uh, can fall into that mm-hmm. because that's the expectation. And also, who's to say people of color don't speak that particular way or whatever? But for me, a script with all Black characters or mostly Black characters from the South, for example, or really yeah. from anywhere, but just sounds a certain way. And I think for a lot of people in this business, that's hard to read. Mm. It's hard to uh, sort of um, picture that. And I wonder if that affects, um, I don't know, I wonder if you find that in any way. There is a default white dialogue, you know, that it's just like it it exists throughout movies and films. It's just like a default. To me, it sounds very bland because you hear it so much, but there is sort of a default voice. And it's like, I think that's why somebody like Sorkin jumps out to the ear or somebody like Tarantino or even Spike Lee jumps out of the ear because they're so different from that default, especially on television. You see it like I can't tell you the voice of one character on this network procedural versus the other character on this network procedural. They all sound exactly alike. So for maybe the comic relief, you know? (laughs) Yes, of course. And then they give it some spikes. Uh, right. But you know, for me, I'm I never I I don't default to that. I'm thinking, and this is not to pat myself on on the back and say like I have some I've escaped the matrix. I'm just saying that like I think of each character individually, and it's never default network television white guy number eight, right? And so I'm always yeah. thinking specifically about where the characters are coming from culturally, and I think it's why I've written um, some great dialogue throughout my career. It's one of the things that I'm proudest about the way that I write. You know, we are a Black screenwriting show, and I wanted to ask a little bit about how do you approach Black characters? How do you approach Black vernacular? How do you approach Black slang? Um, I think we have all read some really horribly written renditions of Black characters, which can so easily, when people are trying to overdo it, and they don't really know the community fall into yeah. just stupid stereotypes <laughs> that don't even make sense. So like, how do you approach it? Like what, what, you know, you've written a lot of black characters. I write a lot of black characters. Like how do you approach writing black vernacular? Is there, is there a special way that you come about it? I don't know that there's a, I don't know that there's a special way. I, I think I've had a diversity of experiences just in life around a lot of different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of different regions of the country, at least. But when I get the opportunity, and usually it's when I'm writing something, you know, for myself, but when I get the opportunity to write mostly Black characters, it really feels exciting because I really get to, for me, I get to feel like I can use my ear. Like I can use the ear Mm -hmm. of my past. I can use the ear in my house, you know, that I recognize from my house or from my family or whatever. And that's, I'm really drawing on something intimate, which hopefully makes it more natural in a way. But the other thing that's in my mind, Mm -hmm. and not because I just sort of, you know, purposely put it there, but but because it's true and it's my experience, is that there is just such a wide range of the Black voice. Talk about it. And so that makes it also, of course, there's a wide range of everybody, but that makes it um, 
that makes it doubly exciting for me. Whereas I think sometimes, not certainly not, I think this is actually changing quite a bit in my experience, but sometimes there may be a certain expectation that a, a black character is going to talk with a lot of slang and he's going to, mm-hmm. he or she is going to sound like they're from the street. And, you know, if they're not, then that's an exception. And we need to sort of point out the exceptionalness right. of, of the fact right. that they're not talking like that, yes. you know, oh which my is God. doubly oh. bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God. so yes, you're right. You have to write I, I, a whole scene of like, why, <laughs> Like yeah, why they explain got their out. backstory? <laughs> so, know, yeah, up. yeah. So I, I, what I really just like is like the opportunity. I guess that's the way to put it: the opportunity to put that diversity of voice within the black community, within the black family, and people that we we know and love onto onto screen and into script. You can hear people that talk a different that talk differently from other people in their own family, yeah, et cetera. You know, I I, I kind of dig that. And also, like to your point about like we were point we were making about Sorkin in the way certain mm-hmm. you know there's just a language and even Tarantino there's a language there's a way people sound that's kind of them. I also think that there's an opportunity. I always feel like there's an opportunity when writing that diversity of of, of the black voice to also give that sort of heightenedness and that sort of, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uniqueness. That's mm-hmm. not sort of always out there. That diversity of voice is not always there, not always heard. I think that's cool. I love doing that. I mean, this, this, although it's period, this project, this mini series I'm working on about Stokely Carmichael really gives sort of the exciting part about getting the opportunity to write it. One of the exciting parts is how it involves so many different young, young at that time, young black voices, men yes. and women from the Mississippi Delta to New York City to Oakland, California, and every from Washington, D.C., everywhere in between Chicago, and how you can sort of hear that. I just think it's cool. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're already doing so much more thought about it than most people do, because I think to your point, most people just like sort of apply a blanket black slang to every black character, right? Not most mm-hmm. people, but a lot of times you read it, it's just like everybody talks the same with the same vernacular. And it's like, you know, you, you like regionalisms. Like, you know, if you're in the black community, you know a lot of black people from all over the country. You know that people from Oakland talk nothing like people from Atlanta. Like, right. it's not even the same. So... I think that, you know, I can't really add much more than what you said. I love to write the the community that I know uh, really well uh, as well. And I think that's a lot of fun. I'll say that, like, just anybody who's writing Black vernacular, I would really implore you to stay away from, like, too many phonetic spellings, you know? Stay away from, like, overdoing sort of the the sound of the way people talk and really think about the grammar with which people talk. Right, That's because there there yeah. is a different grammatical language that comes with American Black vernacular, and I think that people try to sometimes overcompensate it with, you know, dropping every G on the ing, or you know, or doing too many right. contractions or weird sort of phonetic spelling. But like you know, just one example is a lot of times in Black vernacular, for example, we drop the verb, right? So instead of saying "you are stupid," we say "you stupid," right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. little stuff like that understanding those grammatical rules doesn't require any sort of like rapper spelling 
you know, slang spelling, weird, like, you know, weird <laughs> overwriting. Yeah, just like you could just do a little tiny grammar twist and use it sparingly. Don't have to use it every single sentence that you use those grammar twists. But you put them in one or two places within the course of a scene and and the, and readers in the know will know, right? Like you don't even have to necessarily start saying what the race is and over explaining their cultural background. We'll just hear it. We'll just hear this little tiny twist you put in it and we're going to feel it and we're going to understand who that person is. So just, I'm just want to really caution people from overdoing it because I read a lot of bad, poorly written black characters where it's like, it's just like every single, every single slang, you know, stereotypes, weird spelling they put into one block of dialogue and you're like, who, nobody talks like this. Literally nobody <laughs> talks like this. You're way overdoing it, bro. Like that, that see that see the Hollywood shuffle. It's like they killed it, my only brother. <laughs> <laughs> Afros. Oh man. <laughs> um, shoot, I want to know. Uh, we've talked oh, a lot wait, about that. Wait, I have one Go thing ahead. to add. I'm sorry. Go. Go. Here's a newsflash too. I don't know all black vernacular dialogue. You don't. Let me say that again. I am a black screenwriter. I don't know the totality of the black vernacular voice. 100%. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know why? Because there's a lot of them. Uh, guess what? There's 40 million black people in this country. <laughs> Shu doesn't know exactly. every single one in the way. I don't talk. know. I don't know them all. I don't know all of us. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how all of us talk. I mean, I just say that, like, yeah, this is, I guess, my greater point that, that's been sort of rambling is, like, if you don't know, it's fine. Don't force it. Just write a great character. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, if you exactly. don't know, don't force it. Don't try. Don't try to do too much because uh, it really comes through. So, uh, we're getting near the end. I want to know, are there any bits and pieces? Uh, we talked a lot about dialogue, but are there any bits and pieces of advice? Any way that you lay it out on the page that you think is really important? No, I just think uh, just just you know, if you're having trouble with dialogue, I think thinking about the first thing to do is to think about have I identified what the scene is about, and who wants what in the scene, and what action words can I identify with the characters in the scene that will influence what their uh, what their role is in the scene and will influence their dialogue. In other words is a character trying to, like I said before, avoid, evade, convince, negotiate, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever these, whatever those active words are, those actions, can I apply those to the characters in the scene? And then that should give you the root that you need to um, create dialogue from that, because that's going to, that's going to directly uh, impact what they say and why. And then the other thing from a practice level is I would just say, when in doubt, another practice to use, as I said, I'm just repeating, is that to go out and just write it as expositionally and as bland as you want to, write the scene, and then go back and try to add some craft to it by you know taking it away, as Sherman said, obscuring something, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not said so plainly. Is there a way, you know? At least you'll be able to see like a, a sort of blueprint of you know everybody speaking plainly what it would look and sound like. And sometimes you find that 
you know, the plain language, sometimes people do need to just, you know, in so many words, say what they, what it is. You yeah. Know? Sometimes you find, yeah. You know? Sometimes you find that's that's what's got to happen. And that yeah. wouldn't be appropriate for that. I just want to give a little bit of practical on the page advice, something I hold myself to. It's not a rule, but it's something it's like a red flag for me. When I see a block of dialogue get to be more than three or four lines, Shu, I really take a look at that block of dialogue. I give it extra, extra scrutiny when it goes above three lines because, again, my my thing is most people speak in short bursts. You know, when they're not doing a podcast and speechifying, like most people just grunt. They say one word. They say a short sentence. Most people don't give a speech. So whenever I see a block of dialogue that goes – beyond uh beyond that three or four lines i oftentimes uh try to break it up i i'll I'll have another character interject with a question or a point um or sometimes i'll keep it sometimes i'll say this really does need to be six lines of dialogue in this block but then i know that i've really thought about it and it's earned and it really 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 belongs there so just keep an eye on how long your chunks of dialogue are a lot of times i get uh a lot of times I get um, scripts from newer writers and I just glance through it. You know, I just scroll through the PDF like we all do. And I see all these huge speeches. Every page has a speech. And I'm, I'm already thinking to myself, well, this is probably not going to be that. This is probably not going to be that satisfying because people do not talk like this. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, and another thing is, last thing I'll say. Well, I think the last thing I said was the last thing I'll say, but this one just came to me as well. Something that I learned called idiot dialogue. People don't Mm. um, neatly start their dialogue with people they've known for a long time with all the information the audience needs to know about those, that character's relationship. You know, you don't say, Mm. you know, the brother and sister aren't talking and go, you know, uncle Tommy who lives down by the river and has that, has that (laughs) ex-girlfriend who always is cheating on him. You know that that's going on, right? No. They just look at each other and go, yeah, Uncle Tommy and Jenny again. And that's it. You know, so you have to find more clever ways. You have to find more clever ways to get exposition and story in and not to just shoehorn it into dialogue. Like, I don't go to Shakri and go, Shakri, you remember when we were at Columbia University in Dodge Hall and we went to that big screening room, you know, the one with the wall that had the logo on it. And we looked under our seats and we blah, blah, blah. Like, nobody talks like that to people they actually know. It's shorthand. Mm. It's, it's it's names and nicknames, and sometimes they don't even say the names. Sometimes it's just re, it's just brought down to pronouns because they already know who they're talking about. So, don't insert exposition in clunky ways in your dialogue. You have to find better, more active ways to demonstrate that to the audience. I agree. All right, Shu. Let's, let's wrap let's, it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's do it. Don't do that shit. Uh, we'll move on to don't do that shit right now. All right, don't do that shit. A little uh, place where we like to give you some advice by telling you what not to do. Shu, what's your don't do that shit for this week? Okay, my don't do that shit is uh, maybe a little controversial because I ran into this recently on something and I had to kind of tell myself this. It's not one of my like stronger don't do that shits because I think, you know, sometimes you do need to do this shit, but mostly this is like a... 85% 85% don't do that shit. All right, here it goes. Don't write a montage that could be better illustrated in a scene. Yes. A lot of times we try to get information 
or the passage of time or an emotional journey or whatever facts out in the course of a, of a montage that shows X, Y, and Z things. And many, sometimes that's useful. That's the 15%, I think. But most of the time, if you can find a better way a, a way to show us that thing, express that emotional thing that is happening in the montage. If you can do that in a scene mm-hmm. or a scene or two, it's much, much better to do that. That's going to be more resonant than this montage. Sometimes you need a montage. Sometimes it happens. But I think just challenge yourself. Can I find a scene that does the same emotional thing, that has the same weight or accomplishes the same thing, I think you're going to find that that's going to be more satisfying. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree with that. Plus production, once you actually start making stuff, production hates montages because what you've probably (laughs) done, what you've probably done is crammed seven or eight locations into one page of the script. And that could be a whole day of shooting. Uh, And the other thing I'll say is like, listen, again, this is an immediate present tense art form so i would just question do you need a montage like yes is is there a problem with your story that you're having to go so you're having to spend so much time and cram so much stuff into multiple different little pops uh is there actually a problem with your story is your story actually better served by figuring out how it could be more of a straight line occurring in something closer mm -hmm. to real time can you do less? Yes, you might need to do a little less. You might be packing in a little too much. That's absolutely right. Look, sometimes you need it. It's a car chase or something. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes you might need to jump, jump, jump. But uh, yeah, you know, maybe they can't uh, build the building in a single scene. But I'd say most of the time, uh, don't do it. Love that. Um, here's my don't do that shit. I'll try to make it very quick. Don't do this shit. Don't rely more on genre conventions than you rely on story. Mm. Please focus on story. I've watched so much stuff recently. It's been happening on TV. Shoot, I want to talk at some point about what I think is the decline of TV because I think mm-hmm. we're in it right now. I think we're in the. I think we've reached a peak in in the golden age and peak TV, and I think we're on a downward trajectory right now. Well, I don't ever think there was a peak, so we can Ooh, talk about that. We got this. Sounds like a spicy topic, maybe for another day. <laughs> but what yes. I'll say is, I've watched a few things recently that have been very buzzy and very much talked about. I'm not going to name names, but they rely wholly on genre fluff, and they do not focus on storytelling essentials and basics and foundations. And you can give me all the cool genre stuff, all the interesting superhero, monster, sci-fi, whatever. But if you don't give me a good story under it, you're worthless. You're less than worthless. Get out of my sight. I despise you. So this is all I want to say. This is really, when you're writing something, I know we sort of follow trends and your you're, you're sort of, your writing is always a, reflecting, a reflection in a way of what you're watching. But if you're watching these big genre shows, make sure that you're really being skeptical and being critical and and applying more story to your work than what's been making it to the screen lately. Because what's been making it to the screen lately is contributing to the downfall of television. 
Don't do that shit. Don't put genre thrills above story. Right on. You have been listening to The Diversity Hires. You can find us across all social media at Div Hires Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on our new Patreon account where you can donate as much or as little as you want to the cause of keeping this great podcast coming through the digital airwaves. I'm your host, Sherman Payne. And I am Shukri Hassan Tillman. This show is produced by the wonderful August K. Burton, AKB. Shout out. Yank Sherman said you can reach us on all social media platforms, but also don't forget the diversityhires.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can write us a uh, you can write us there, give us comments, suggestions for new episodes, etc. And also mostly just please share this with everybody you know. Let's keep getting our listenership up so we can give you these goods every week. We'll be back next week brand new episode of the Diversity Hires. Peace. See you then. Peace.